Hi and welcome to episode 2 of the FFS Show, a podcast about misinformation and fact-checking. I'm Mags Taylor. And I'm Ali Bryan. In this episode, we've been looking at two claims about the availability of PPE. And we've also been looking at a claim about the ingredients of the COVID-19 vaccine. So Max, you've been looking into two claims about the availability of PPE during the COVID-19 pandemic, haven't you? Yeah, so UK Health Secretary Matt Hancock, who's responsible for the NHS in England, he he made some quite bullish comments in the the national media. He he was on the Today programme when he was asked about uh, PPE, said that there had never been any shortages at all. He said, yes, there were individual challenges and access to PPE, but we never had a national shortage because of my team. First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, she made some similar comments around about the same time. Uh, She said that the Scottish Government had had a stockpile of PPE at the start of the pandemic, and that's why we never ran out of PPE. So let's start with England and Matt Hancock. Is what he was saying accurate? No, basically. Um, A report published by the National Audit Office last June found that at the start of the pandemic, the stockpile held by Public Health England had lacked items. It said specifically it had lacked gowns and visors. It did some modelled numbers, which the modelling, it was based on a worst case scenario, which the pandemic was a worst case scenario, but they were modelled figures. They weren't precise figures. That also found that provision fell short on gowns, eye protectors and aprons. So where was Matt Hancock getting his information from? Well, I spoke to the Department for Health and Social Care and they said that the claim was based on a separate National Audit Office report, which was published in November last year. And that was looking specifically at the supply of PPE during the pandemic. Now, that the spokesperson for the department noted that the, the report said the NHS provider organisations we spoke to told us that while they were concerned about the low stocks of PPE, they were, they were always able to get what they needed in time. But what that spokesperson didn't mention was that the report went on to add literally in the next sentence that that was not the experience reported by many frontline workers. Uh, The report went on to say that significant numbers of workers considered that they were not adequately protected during the height of the first wave of the pandemic. That certainly seems to chime with what a lot of people were saying on the front lines uh, about the lack of protective equipment at the start of the pandemic. It does, it does, yeah. And a lot of doctors and nurses and other frontline workers took to social media to to basically rubbish Matt Hancock's claims. Um, one in particular was an Oxford-based doctor, Rachel Clark. Now, she actually wrote a book in which she interviewed lots and lots of healthcare workers about their experience of, of the pandemic. And she tweeted that Hancock's claim was categorically not true. She said, I say this as someone who begged local veterinary practices and schools for masks and visors and whose hospice nearly closed down through lack of PPE and she said that was happening up and down the country and that that is the experience she heard from many of the people that she was interviewing. So what verdict do we give this claim then? Mostly false. I mean I think it's fair on one level for Matt Hancock to say there wasn't a national shortage of a lot of items of PPE because at the national level there were stocks of most things. The National Audit Office did find that there, there were complete shortages of certain items at certain points but while it's fair for him to say that there wasn't a national shortage that wasn't the experience on the ground at the local level there were issues with distribution and really I don't think he can ignore the experiences of the actual workers who who did face these shortages. I suppose everything not running at a national level isn't much comfort when you've got shortages on the ground. 
Exactly, exactly. Like th- th- there could be loads of it sitting in the store somewhere, but if you're in a hospital that doesn't have any, then you have a shortage, you have run out. Okay, so that's the uh, English situation looked at. What was Nicola Sturgeon saying? It seemed like her claim was slightly different, wasn't it? Slightly different, yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's a semantic argument, isn't it, about the, the way they express themselves. But essentially, it, it was a similar claim that the Scottish government was saying that they had a substantial stockpile of PPE at the beginning of the pandemic, and it was modelled um, similarly to, to the UK government's on previous pandemics, and that's why they never ran out. So was Nicola Sturgeon right? Again, a, a report from Audit Scotland this time, um, it found, as we know, I guess, that there was unprecedented demand for PPE at the beginning of the pandemic, but it found that the stockpile was not enough to fully meet the demands of the NHS. It said that some boards had reported shortages of certain, certain items of PPE early in the pandemic. That was reflected in reports that were seen throughout uh, whistleblowers coming forward. And also there was a paper published on NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde's website in May 2020, in which they said that, yeah, national short supplies were were kind of filtering down to them. There was lack of clarity in supplies, erratic delivery and certain items. While perhaps weren't completely unavailable, it it was difficult to know when they were getting them and if, if they might run out. Again, that's certainly the sort of thing we've heard from uh, whistleblowers in the media, isn't it? There have been various stories of whistleblowers coming forward to say that there were shortages. I mean, shortages don't necessarily mean completely running out. It just means fears of running out. But there was a a poll from the Royal College of Nursing conducted last year, which found that 47% of respondents working in high-risk environments and 36% in general care environments have been asked to reuse single-use protective equipment. Whether you have actually run out or whether you're going to run out, so you're having to reuse them to to eke it out, there were certainly problems with supply. So we went for half true on this one, didn't we? We did, yes. Now, in essence, the situation in Scotland and England was essentially the same, but we went with half true because of the way Nicola Sturgeon phrased her claim. She said that Scotland never ran out, whereas Matt Hancock had said there was a there was never an issue with supply. It's clear that there was an issue with supply in both Scotland and England. But from the Audit Scotland report, it seems that Scotland at the national level did not ever actually completely run out of PPE, but there were reported shortages in health boards and there were obviously those images of people having to reuse equipment. Hi everyone, this week we've got a special section where we look at a misleading image you might have seen online relating to Alex Salmon's evidence to the Scottish Parliament inquiry. The image shows members of the Scottish Cabinet, Nicola Sturgeon and John Swinney included, supposedly breaking Covid restrictions to watch Alex Salmon's evidence together at Butte House. Now this image got shared around Facebook and Twitter and even on some prominent Scottish independence blogs. Now this image is not accurate. And luckily, using just one tool, it's very easy to debunk. If you see this image online, or any image you're not sure of, and you're on a Chrome web browser, you can just right-click the image and click Search Google for Image. Google will then search for similar-looking images or other places the image has appeared online. Doing that with the Alex Salmond image, you'll see it's actually an image of the Scottish Cabinet watching TV footage of the Supreme Court case against Boris Johnson's unlawful suspension of Parliament in 2019. This was obviously before any restrictions on social contact during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Remember, you can use this tool anytime you see an image on social media you're unsure of. If you're not on a Chrome browser, all you have to do is download the image, go to google.co.uk forward slash images and click on the camera icon to upload it. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Ali, you've been back looking at anti-vaxxers, haven't you? What, what claim were you looking at this time? I've been looking at a claim shared on Facebook quite a number of times about supposed ingredients of vaccinations, including the COVID vaccination. Mm-hmm. It's written in the format of a story where somebody supposedly phones up uh, poison control and gives them a list of ingredients, which the poison control person then confirms uh, are all toxic and poisonous. Uh-huh supposedly the big reveal is these are all vaccine ingredients so it lists a number of different ingredients including uh, formaldehyde mercury potassium phosphate sodium phosphate as ingredients uh, for vaccines such as the covid19 jab and makes the claim that these are toxic to humans and so therefore vaccines are toxic to humans Right, okay. So, I mean, it's quite a long list of ingredients, isn't it? Is there any truth in any of that? What what are in the actual vaccines? Do we know? We focused on the three that are currently approved in the UK. Mm -hmm. So obviously every vaccine, as I think we've alluded to in the past, every vaccine is made in a different way. And so they have different ingredients. The social media claim has a vast list of ingredients. Only a few of them are included in the vaccines that are in the UK. So what about, let, let's look at the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. That was the first one to be approved for use in the UK. What, what are its ingredients and are any of the ones on this list in there? So the ingredients of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. The main ingredient and the active ingredient, which I'm sure we'll have all heard of, is the mRNA. Mm, yeah. What, what is that? It's the active ingredient that the vaccine is based on. The way that it works is it encodes a portion of the what's called the spike protein, which is what helps you to fight off the impact of the COVID-19 that's the way the vaccine sort of trains your body to fight off uh, COVID-19 but that's basically the main ingredient that does the work of the vaccine so to speak is that one of the ones that was on the list no mRNA is not on the list that was in the claim itself the other things that are in the vaccine are usually are mostly have quite similar roles to play so they might be salts and sugars which help mm-hmm. to maintain the ph level or the stability of the vaccine there's also these things called lipids mm-hmm. which uh, form a kind of shell around the mrna and help to keep it intact and stable while it kind of gets into your body to do the work that it's supposed to do the astrazeneca vaccine uses the uh, modified adenovirus which then delivers the spike proteins which help you to fight coronavirus it contains a whole list of ingredients, including sodium chloride, L-histidine, various other things, magnesium chloride, hexahydrate. These are all sort of fancy names for various things that help to stabilize and maintain the pH level of the vaccine again. The final vaccine, which has been approved, is the Moderna vaccine. That's again, is an mRNA vaccine. So it contains the mRNA, the lipids, again, which help to protect the mRNA and Again, a mixture of acids, stabilizers, sugars, salts, which helps to obviously maintain the stability. Mm. Now, what about the list that was on the the social media post? Because it was quite extensive, wasn't it? Are any of those ingredients present in any of the vaccines that are used in the UK? Of the significant list that was mentioned, only four feature in those three vaccines. So that's monobasic mm. potassium phosphate, dibasic sodium phosphate, polysorbate 80 and ethanol. These might seem 
many of them might seem kind of unfamiliar and seem like dangerous chemicals, but they're not necessarily. I mean, the Post claims that these things are all toxic to humans. And like mm -hmm. many things, if they're ingested in the wrong way or in significant quantities, they can be toxic to humans. Like, you know, for example, salt is toxic to humans if you ingest a significant amount of it. Mm -hmm. Potassium phosphate and sodium phosphate, for example, are salts, which they help to keep the pH balance, as we mentioned before, and to suspend the active ingredient in water so that it doesn't settle out of the vaccine. They're sort of regularly added to foods. Polysorbate 80 is another really common food additive, which is used to bind other ingredients together. Ethanol, which is again, one, maybe one of the only ones that people will know what it is, kind of used as a fuel. It's also, again, it's used in food and drink products and acts as a stabilizer in these vaccines. So although the, the, the post was trying to indicate that all, all the items on the list were poisonous, and albeit that only four of them are present in the UK vaccines, actually, in the doses that they would be present in, they're not harmful to humans. No, exactly. It's quite a common type of uh, anti-vaccine misinformation post that you see related to all sorts of vaccines. Mm. They'll take the list of ingredients of a vaccine or whatever vaccine it is, and they'll say, aha, but this is th these things are toxic if you ate them or if you inject yeah. them, they're toxic. But of course, that's not taking into account the tiny amounts that they're being used in and how they're being used in vaccines. It's a totally different thing to eat a spoonful of something and have yeah. a tiny little bit of something as part of a vaccine yeah. injected into you for a certain reason. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say it's a common theme among anti-vaccine posts because formaldehyde and mercury also appeared in that list, didn't they? And they, they seem to appear quite often in the anti-vaccine campaigns. Yeah. I mean, was, was there anything, did you find anything out about those? The use of formaldehyde is obviously controversial. It can be dangerous in high amounts and it's been, you know, it's been linked to cancer, for example. Mm -hmm. But in, you know, it's famously used in as a preservative in mortuaries. So people think, oh, that's sure. not something you want to be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in small amounts that it, can, it has can be used in some vaccines, not the mm. COVID ones we're referring to, but uh, it's used in tiny amounts and is it's naturally found in the human body in higher amounts than it would be contained in a vaccine. And it's not considered dangerous at such small amounts. Mercury is another one that's a kind of controversial thing, which is, again, is patently not good for you when used in uh, significant amounts. But the compound of mercury, which is used in some vaccines, has been used in some vaccines called thimerosal, mm -hmm. is as a preservative. There doesn't seem to be any evidence that there's any harm caused by these low doses, but that seems to have been phased out of most vaccine use and is really rarely used in the UK or the US these days. And neither of these are used in the vaccines that are being used in the UK anyway, is that right? Exactly. Formaldehyde and mercury are not in the vaccines. So what, what was your overall verdict then on this post? We found it false. I think it's a very, very misleading post, which mm -hmm. not only does it give an inaccurate listing of the sort of ingredients which are contained in the coronavirus vaccine, it also is misleading in terms of what it says about ingredients which it mentions in terms of their toxicity so of yeah. course they're going to be toxic if you sprinkle on your toast drink a bottle of them yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> sprinkle on your cornflakes that'll be bad or, or, yeah drink it like coca-cola yeah not necessarily when it's in a tiny amount as part of a vaccine thanks everyone for listening to the second episode of the ffs show and especially thanks to everyone who's listened to the first episode. Uh, all the comments and uh, feedback were really nice. The abuse was kept to an absolute minimum, which was nice, wasn't it, Mags? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Remember, you can 
follow us at theferret.scot on Twitter and email us at factcheck at theferret.scot. And remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so that you get notified every time we do a new podcast. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time. 